Hey here, Green Don't Living Guy. We're just video. hanging out. And it's Green Living Guy. What's going on? Uh, it's getting a lot warmer around here, guys, and I hope it is around your area. Um, even though it did a little snow dance this morning, it's still warming up and getting closer, given that we're in March, to that good old spring, which is always good. So hope your days are going good. And we got here Star Vartan from Echo Chick. She's got her site, echochick.com, which she founded, but she'll talk more about that. What's going on, Star? Oh, I'm just uh, getting used to the cold weather. I've been away for a while, so I am enjoying the last bit of winter. (laughs) Where have you been? Tell people where you've been. Oh, um, I spent the last five months uh, on the road. I was uh, living off-grid, actually, in a um, solar-powered resort slash eco campsite so not like the resort that you might think of with you know my ties and cocktails but more of a um, all included uh, let's live outside under the sky and use the sun as our power um, place on the big island of Hawaii and so uh, I was getting some writing done there and then I went to Australia to see my family um, who are mostly located in uh, Sydney Melbourne and, and up north in Queensland there so you went down under huh yeah, I did. And I always forget to check if the toilet does indeed run the other way. And I always get on the plane on my way home, and I'm like, damn, I forgot again, because I've been there a bunch of times. But anyway. I like that. Nice. Oh, boy. So tell, why don't you tell everybody what about your history in this whole green space and Echo Chick and how you started, and now that just so where people uh, – Star is also writing for the Huffington Post and really known out there in the green space and doing a lot. So why don't you start off with how would you get into all this and what tell people about Echo Check, the whole Okay. Thing. Well, um, the, the beginning of all of this is really comes from my family. I was raised by um, my grandmother in the Hudson Valley of New York in a little town called Garrison in the woods, and so I really was outside pretty much my whole childhood, and, and my grandmother had built um, the house that I grew up in right on top of um, a wetland on some, um, before, you know, those, there were regulations about that stuff, and, you know, she was always very environmentally conscious, so even though she bought, built this house probably in a less than ideal spot, um, we were always very careful about what we put down the drain, and there was always this idea that there was a connection between what you consume and your personal health and then the health of your local ecosystem. So um, I also was lucky enough to have um, a farm down the road for me, and when I ate meat growing up, we had, you know, fresh um, beef and chicken and chicken eggs from our neighbors, and we had a huge organic garden. My grandmother was really into living um, more sustainably um, way back in the day. She's, I dedicated my book to her because she's the original eco-chick. Um, yeah, and, um, and as, as many of our grandparents and great-grandparents were because they had to be because that's how people have lived, yeah. you know, forever. It's only recently that we've become more disconnected and, and, and able to have such a huge impact. Um, and then the other side is, is my dad. He's a, um, been a surfer since he was about 17 at Rockaway Beach and now lives in Australia and has always been very connected to the ocean. So I sort of had the mountains and the ocean as influences. And I studied science in high school and college, and I thought I wanted to be an environmental scientist, but that didn't work out for me because of the type of work that it was, and I'm a very creative person. So I wanted something where I could really use creativity and science and put that together. And 
with the advent of the Internet, it was the perfect um, space for that. So I um, quit being an environmental scientist. I started being a writer. I wrote for E! The Environmental Magazine, which is a fantastic publication, which I know you're very familiar with. Yes. Seth, What's the and, um, website for that? Is that just emagazine.com? It is, yes. Right. And so um, that's where I first got my start, and I got exposed to all these great green products that were just starting to really um, become more mainstream. Um, my aunt and uncle had been sort of hippie throwbacks, and they'd used a lot of stuff when I was growing up, much of which I thought was kind of didn't work so well. So you so knew the song was, Uncle John's Band back in the day, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I know all of, all. you know, that's, yeah. that's part of my, my background, too. And and it was right. great for me when I was at E! Magazine that all of these products were coming in and things yeah. were like working, you know, like, you know, um, body products and just things to make your life easier and things made of recycled materials. And I didn't have enough bandwidth there um, because it only, the magazine only comes out every other month um, right. to write about all these great things. So I started my blog, EcoChick, and I also felt that there was sort of a lack of women's spaces online. And I sort of was online very early, late 2001. I started blogging on a political site was the only woman's voice, and I was always really, like, bummed about that. So I got together, um, you know, all this great information, and I started just doing short blog posts on it, and it, it sort of took off from there. And so I founded my site, um, eco-chick.com, in um, October of 2005. Which so is it's been around for a while. <laughs> I'm sorry? Which is linked on greenlivingguy.com. We have it right on the home page and every other page, so... People Thanks. want to know, yeah. go to Echo Chick on my on the Green Living Guy site to find it. So it's all good. And um and I was lucky enough to sort of be involved early enough that I made, you know, wonderful contacts within the green community, um, which was much smaller back then than it was now than it is now. And um and, and really have had done some wonderful partnerships with people. Um and was able to publish a book based on my blog called Eco Chick Guide to Life, How to Be Fabulously Green. And, um, you know, which gave me the opportunity to write for a wider variety of publications. And, uh, and, and the exciting thing about it all is really that it's it really continued to move forward. I mean, the whole green thing a couple years ago, everybody was like, okay, well, this is a trend, but it's not going to last. And, you know, everyone from the news media to politicians were like, you know, trend forecasters were waiting for the other shoe to drop. People are going to get bored of this. Like, what's the next thing going to be? And the nice thing is that it has continued to spread, continued to gain momentum, and it just keeps growing. People, you know, the general public really have embraced sustainability, um, which I always think sustainability is also sensibility. So it's going to save you money and, um, you know, make, yeah, just you, make a healthier life for you. Yeah, exactly. You know, all that stuff. So, like, I mean, I'm not surprised that it's continued to be, um, you know, something that's grown in the U.S., but I think some other, you know, uh, more cynical folks have been have been surprised, and I think that's a good thing. I'm so excited that it's just continued to move forward, and it's become part of the, the debate. I remember 10 years ago when I started doing this, it was like, you know, every other week you'd maybe get one environmentally oriented story in the New York Times, and it was always like a small victory, and now it's like there's a blog at the Right. Every day, there's environmental coverage every day. I mean, it's really become part of the conversation. So, Do you think that the Internet and social media and all that kind of stuff has definitely helped uh, expand the consciousness of green? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the people who are involved in the green community, whether you're talking about folks who are blogging about hardcore stuff or people that, you know, talk about fashion like I do or, you know, from fashion designers to people who – create body products or, you know, the folks at seventh generation who are coming up with even better and better ways to clean without, you know, using toxic ingredients. Right. 
everyone has just like so much passion and so much energy. I, I love being part of the green community because everybody is working towards the same goal. There's so much collaboration. And I think that that positivity has really been picked up by people outside, you know, people reporting on this and business owners, and they're like, wow, look at this wellspring of amazing goodness. And yes. let's, let's include that in the way we do business and, and what we report on. So I think, you know, it's a combination of timeliness and also attitude. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember telling a lot of people when I talk to people and want to interview them for Planet Green or the site that we both write for, Greenopia or stuff like that, that just, look, I'm not TMZ. Okay, I'm not here to make your life a living hell. I'm trying to promote you and you know talk about your greenness and 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 what you do and how important it is to the community and how you, people need to know about you. And once you explain it to them that way, and it's not like you're you know anything of it, it it's educating people about what's out there. I mean, a lot of people have have talked about. Um, we have to do green, we have to, the world's going to collapse or, you know, an inconvenient truth and all that. But lately, and as has it started to increase, I think what people are doing is they're voting with their pocketbooks. And mm -hmm. by engaging them, by telling them about the products that are out there on a much more consistent basis, you're getting people aware of what they can buy. And with the availability of stores like Whole Foods or not my neck of the woods of Mrs. Green's, which is like a low, you know, same type of natural markets, or even in other stores. I mean, I've got a drugstore right next door to me, and there are more and more people asking for more and more green products, and they're adding them into the store. Yeah, and, and that's something that I think, you know, people are a little bit more vocal, too, than they used to be because they realize that they do have that, that sort of vote um, with, you know, people who are stocking their shelves and, um, you know, bringing them the things that they want. And also, of course, you know, if I can't get it at my local place, if I ask and they don't get it for me, I'm going to order it online. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. So I feel like store owners have a real impetus to be, um, to listen more closely to their customers because they'll lose them. I mean, there's really, you know, the Internet is a great alternative place to go if you live in a place where maybe you don't have access to some of this stuff and, and you know, your store um, proprietor isn't going to be able to stock it for you. So it, it's sort of a combination of things. I, I know that there's um, a couple of sites that the people in the community have told me about that they read regularly. And I th those sites, as well as yours, as well as Planet Green or the other sites out there, are slowly, but, you know, yours as well as, you know, some specific sites are starting to get into the more specific, here's what product you can buy. And I think the more that people can do that, they'll vote with their pocketbooks. I mean, I notice people taking the conscious choice not to bring to to go to a supermarket without their bags. I know, isn't it? Most, it's the most beautiful thing. I mean, I just it's see very rewarding every, to see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just I just drove across country, you know, on my return voyage, and I can't even tell you from you know. California, obviously, you know, you saw it a lot. But even down in Texas, I was in Austin and driving across in, you know, northern Alabama, I saw all these, you know, mostly women because they're the ones who are out doing shopping in the middle of the day. But, like, yeah. you know, everybody has their bags now. And it's like, what a huge change. That's tremendous, you it know. Is. like one small and, step. and five yeah. years ago, it's like, you know, who would have thought that would have actually happened? And I bet if you told someone five years ago that, like, this would be such an embraced thing that they would have been like, 
yeah, whatever, you know, it'll, it'll, the hippies will do it, but nobody else will. But, you know, th- this is where I think style and fashion is actually really important because part of the reason I think that this is happening is because so many people came out and said, ew, plastic bags are not only destructive to the environment and create the Pacific garbage patch and, you know, animals eat them, you know, and they just are everywhere and they never biodegrade, like what a waste, but also they're ugly, why don't you carry, like, something that you can reuse, that you can, you know, put lots more stuff in, too, because plastic bags are really flimsy. Yeah. And you look cooler while you're doing it because you have this cute design thing. You know, there's a million different ones available now. Right. Um, so that's where, it's, you know, people say, oh, well, where does fashion come into this whole discussion? And I always point to that as being a prime example because fashion and, and that kind of thing, you know, people – Pay attention to that. Maybe some of these women are only doing it because of fashion. They don't care at all about the environment, but who cares? I mean, I don't. As long as they're doing it. Right. It looks, yeah. It looks good. It's a good good accessory. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think a lot of things, it become, if, as it becomes part of culture, it becomes part of people feeling comfortable with it and, and fashion is definitely a part of that. I'm not would not say I'm the, the most fashionist kind of guy to say the least. I mean, I'm a guy, green living guy, but you know, I'm I'm definitely not going to wear, you know, as my wife would say, brown and black together or something like that. <laughs> and if I did, she kicked me out. But regardless, I think what's important is that people wear things as an extension of themselves and people need to feel comfortable in something and it needs to fit well, and it needs to be able to be put on their body and or held to their vest or, you know, whatever you're, you're doing, that's something that looks cool, feels comfortable, isn't priced too crazy out the market, and is going to last me a long time. And that's something you do also get with green, going green with your, you know, fashion or something like that. And I think that's also something that's great about these bags, I mean, you know, you're getting libraries now, every little green conference handing out the bags, just every little thing. We'll be getting rid of plastic bags. will become such a thing at this point because of the way it's being embraced almost like recycling. Yeah, and really it's been happening worldwide too. I mean, I saw it in Australia. I saw it um, in Europe when I was there. So it, it's definitely not just, you know, here in the States. And, um, right. Right. And the other nice thing about, you know, a, a lot of people, and I just want to sort of put this idea out there, have, have this impression that, you know, eco-fashion and clothes made from sustainable fabrics were so much more expensive. And I would say a few years ago that was true. It's like any new thing. It's like, remember when the VCR came out, it was like $1,000. And, you know, I remember, you know, we got one at one point when it was still sort of early days, and it was like this big, huge machine. And, right. you know, it lasted forever, which was great. But it's sort of like the same thing now that, that, you know, people have bought into that could afford to the eco-fashion and have supported those industries and those designers, now it's becoming lower and lower price. So that yeah. stuff is becoming more affordable. Um, and it will continue to do so until it's at a point where it's pretty much price comparable with, um, you know, toxic uh, fashion. And I think that that's going to be something that we're going to see in the next few years. I think we're getting pretty close already. Um, I just heard that H&M Spring Line is going to contain tons of organic cotton. Uh, you know, and part of it was that they had to find those, those certifiers and the suppliers. If a store as big as H&M is going to embrace 
eco fashion, they're gonna they need a lot of volume. And you know, honestly, there wasn't enough available prior to the last couple of years for them to do that. So, you know, support support you know those um, green products where you can, where you can afford to, if you can afford to. You know, pay, it's, it's sort of like an investment that you can make for the rest of humanity. And if you can't afford to, you know, there's lots of other ways to go green too, which include reusing stuff and fixing stuff, which I do a lot of. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Fixing is the most one of the most green things you can do, rather than buy. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 to add what you were saying about product and price and market, it even flows. I mean, I was just at a seminar today that my local real estate broker, who's not even a green certified real estate broker, but sponsored this event, right, about going green and doing energy efficiency and sustainability in your home. And, I mean, it's becoming so – it was so done to the point that literally these companies are putting out these forums. Huh. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, for starters, right? And then the best part was when I saw the price of solar – and, you know, solar has gotten really out there, flooding the marketplace to the point where it's gotten down to, you know, you take a home system. They used to say, oh, yeah, it cost me $40,000. And back in the day, it probably did. But nowadays, it will cost you about twenty. right? Here's the crazy part. Incentive money from, like, the state of New York for NYSERDA, it's going to give you, like, about eight grand. So then it costs you $16,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, they said for every dollar you spend, it will add to the resale of your home by twentyfold. Wow, that's huge. Twentyfold. So, and they're saying now that the the whole solar panel, and he didn't even talk about which Josh Dorfman and I are talking about solar leasing. He didn't even talk about that. He was huh. just talking about solar install and finance because they want to get the cash, of course. But the point is, is that they can do this stuff, and you're saving just on photovoltaic 50%. You get a 50% rate of return on your money. 50%. Yeah, I mean, and those are the incentives that people need because I think most most people – are financially motivated. I think most many Especially people want to. You know, they, they want to do right by the environment, but they're not going to necessarily do it if it's going to hurt them financially. And and I can I really can understand. I own a house that's going to be 100 years old next year, and you know it's not the most efficient place. It's certainly not like a lead certified home right, or anything. Right, right. And I would love to be able to put um, solar panels. I'm the eco chick. Like, what could be better? Exactly. And talk to my neighbors about it. But, you know, I'm not a millionaire. I need to also make choices that are, you know, financially sustainable for me. So okay. these are the kind of things that are going to allow people like me to do this in, you know, the next few years, which I hope I can. That would be so exciting. Oh, yeah. And, I and, think it, and I, it would add to the resale value of my house sold. You know what yeah. I mean? Even this broker, who is not a green broker, had admitted two things. He said the number second question that people ask me besides the first one, which is, what's the property taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are the utility bills? Mm. People are adding it in. You're talking about yeah. in this neck of the woods, you know, tw- uh, 20 to 19 to 25 cents a kilowatt hour. You're talking about 25 
to I don't remember what it was in Connecticut, but in Connecticut, it's insane the amount of money they pay for electricity. And this whole area in the East Coast, as well as in Florida and California or other places where there are electricity rates are atrocious, solar even becomes a quicker rate of return. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. And I think what, what's great about it is that once people realize that when you go green, it's like almost buying, um, what my grandfather used to say, uh, buying a Mont Blanc. You know, it costs a lot more than your typical Beck, right? <laughs> but it lasts forever. And you only have to pay for a little bit of maintenance cost once in a while to the point where I went, I was flying, I came back from Sundance and I saw this Mont Blanc station because the pen, the ink had run out. And I said, how much is it? And they said, oh, for a pen refill? Yeah, $3. I was like, oh, my God. And the pen's still there, lasting me now a good 15 years. Yeah, and that's a really, really interesting, um, I hate to use the word trend, but a new, an old idea that has sort of become new again. I was just at Greener Gadgets, and the last two years in a row, this is a conference in New York City uh, that looks at sort of emerging green design within um, the electronics industry. And you were, you know, I know you were there too, and I don't know if you were there last year, but, you know, some, no, one that of the, wasn't there you know, last year. No. The keynote speaker last year mentioned something that I find to be so exciting and intriguing, which is the idea, which is basically like the Mont Blanc pen idea, which is that, you know, instead of buying a laptop and the whole thing, you know, goes to be recycled, hopefully, or goes in the garbage if, um, you know, you're not so smart, right. uh, or any piece of equipment, your phone, um, what if we had a, a, a case or, a, you know, most of it, let's say 75% of it that would be kept from like a pen, like the outside of the pen that you would use that would be something that would be more expensive, that would be very unique and a beautiful thing that would be precious to you, uh, that you might even pass along to someone at some point, that you would just... Uh, change out the insides, and you'd have so much less waste if we reuse um, things and sort of charge more from them in the beginning, and so they become a little bit more of a, um, a valued piece. Then all of a sudden, we've cut our, our waste down, and we don't have to think about recycling. And you know, if you cut waste from the beginning, it's simpler than trying to recycle something or deal with it later. I mean, I'm sitting here in front of my MacBook, and I tell you, you know, I love this machine; it works great. But the plastic has been chipping off for the last, you know, six months that I've had it, and I've had it for about two years. It's like, you know, this thing would never last, even if I, even if I did my very best to, you know, um, replace the insides and keep it updated and all that stuff would never last physically for another two or three years. I'm going to have to get a new one. And that's, you know, that's something, that planned obsolescence, I think, is a design idea whose time is over. Oh, it's beyond over. And I agree with you on that. There's no question. I mean, the infinite obsolescence concept is crazy. I recently, I have a, which I haven't yet thrown out these old computers that I still have. But, you know, <laughs> um, I try to add memory to them. And then it's a shame that some of them you can't buy add memory to because the memory cards are gone or they don't make mm-hmm. them anymore. And it's like, dude. What's up with that? You know, and then you can't use that computer, which frankly looks gorgeous. But I got to now find a way to recycle this thing, which they make it difficult for you to do relatively. I mean, it's getting better, 
but there's still a lot more work to do to be able to recycle computers on the regular. Um, you know, all these little things, if they just started making it so you can just take an old drive out, plop a new drive in, and you're ready to go. It would be yeah, so much simpler. That's easier. where, you know, people will again say to me, oh, you know, if you want to save the environment, you know, fashion is an important design, you know, you know, doesn't matter, you know, but this is where design is so important. If, if products were designed differently with a different uh, life cycle, then all of a sudden we would have, you know, less waste from the get-go. Right. Um, and, and less stuff cluttering up our lives, frankly, which, I mean, I know I've been, I'm doing a massive spring clean this year, and it's just like I'm trying to be as responsible as possible about getting rid of stuff and putting it, you know, in the right place, um, reusing, um, recycling as much as possible so it doesn't end up in the landfill. But it's hard, and, and some of the stuff is because of this plant obsolescence. I mean, I'm staring at my refrigerator, and I'm wondering if I decide to replace it for a more energy-efficient model, which would bring my electricity bills down and would probably pay for itself in two years because it's an old, cruddy refrigerator, are they going to recycle it? Are the people that come back, or what are they going to do with it? Is this going to go in the landfill? Am I creating more waste, and is that, you know, uh, environmentally friendly, or is it better to just use a little bit more electricity? You know, if I had a refrigerator like those old ones from the 50s, you know, that were designed to last for 30 years, some of them are still going. I had a, I had a freezer in my house growing up that was 50 years old. My grandmother brought it into the house. She built a whole, you know, area around it. It, it went with the house and was running for 50 years. And I'm yeah. not even kidding you. Oh, you know I know. I mean? I, 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 it reminds me of my, uh, when I lived in Mount Vernon, New York, when I was growing up, that the, in the washer and the dryer were all front and loaded. Rather than that top, you know, putting, a, putting a, uh, the clothes on the top, which is the most inefficient way to do it, and then it was the most inefficient thing. Yet the washing machines that they had were like what people are excelling to, to buy now. And it's, it's, it, it, it is getting back to basics in some respects, getting back to where we were versus where we've come. Well, this is why I always say that the sustainability is sensibility. It's, it's actually um, ideals that were embraced by our grandparents and our great-grandparents. You make things built to last. You don't waste what you don't have. Even if you have extra, you share it then. You're not, you know, just tossing it out the window just because you can. And I think that all of the – I think, you know, the, the thing I've been thinking in a sort of holistic way about, you know, as we move forward into the future is just that we've experienced in the last few years, I would say the last maybe 20, 30 years, just a temporary insanity with regards to what, how we live our lives and how we use our resources. Because I really think for most of human history, it really wasn't this bad as, as where we are right now. And I think we're correcting ourselves. I think there's a very, you know, strong correction going on. And that in 50 years from now, we'll look back at this period and it will really be regarded as this like sort of insane, wasteful time before we came to our senses again. And um, so I think that we're, we're, we're at least we'll we'll be part of the Renaissance back to the good old times, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I hope like so. I. I hope I, you know, I I think that you know there's there's many of us who are forward thinkers, and also you know where it applies reverse thinkers. Like, let's what are the best ideas for moving forward, um, and what makes sense for you know the vast majority of people, and what makes sense for the world that we live in or the place that we live in. You know, what works in Arizona 
is not supposed to necessarily work in in New York or That's work right. up in you know northern Canada. And you know when I was growing up, I remember my dad who lives in Australia would rant and rave because he said all the new construction in Australia they face the houses the wrong way. In most of Australia, you don't need to have heating or cooling. You can use it passively by just placing your house in the appropriate direction so that you have through breezes, you have solar energy, you know, Brilliant. certain times of the year. Yeah. And, you know, they stopped doing that. People stopped thinking that way. And, again, it's just temporary insanity. So then all of a sudden people have to, you know, use energy to heat their homes in Australia, which you really don't need if, if you're smart about it. So it's just about being smarter and more sustainable and more sensible. Um, and those, those three all go hand in hand. And I, I think that we're moving forward in a positive direction. It's just we just went a little nuts. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, we had a little teenagers. Yeah. We have yeah. to learn from our mistakes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what's great about what you're doing. I think it's what's great about, you know, Echo Check consistently getting people to get off that temporary insanity. I think it's also great that um, you now write for the Huffington Post, correct? Yeah, yeah, I've been writing for them for a bit. Yeah. Um, so people can go to HuffingtonPost.com. People can go to Greenopia.com. People can go to Echo Check, Echo-Check.com. I want to make it right. And you have your book, which I have put a picture of it on your Blog Talk Radio page for your section. So people have multiple ways to find out what you're writing, what you're what you're talking about, and also to get your book. Uh, Echo Chick, and what's what's? I'm sorry, what's the byline on that one? I'm not looking at the website right now. The, it's, the uh, it's the Eco Chick Guide to Life: How to Be Fabulously Green. Yes, I did go to your launch. It was such a fun time. You had such a great <laughs> launch party. Oh, you know. How oh, thanks. Yeah, it was. Yeah, fun. and I was gonna say, you know, just for your listeners, this is um, this book is definitely when you pick it up, it looks very girly. And I would say the first third of the book is definitely oriented towards women with fashion and beauty. But the, the last two-thirds of the book it really applies to anybody. Um, and, and I wrote it so that you can open it anywhere and start reading. So, um, so check it out. It's, it's pretty, pretty fun. And for the guys out there, maybe you can just buy it on the simple that you can give it to your girl. Green Living Guys say good night, thanks, and we will be talking to you soon. This will – Thing will be live on iTunes as well as uh, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Star. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, Seth. Bye-bye. Yep, bye.